0: I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, verse 21. This is the, if you can believe it, 40-second message in our long-term sermon series on the Gospel of Matthew called Following Jesus, where we are studying together the theological biography of the greatest person to ever live, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're in the second half of the book, and things are beginning to get dicey. Jesus has withdrawn once already after he got some bad news, but the crowds had followed him and he did many compassionate miracles, including feeding a crowd of 5,000 men plus women and children walking on water and all kinds of healings. And he's gotten into some spats with the Jewish religious authorities. Last time, if you remember, they accused him of not following the traditions. And he accused them of not following God's law. He accused them of missing the whole point. He accused them of being blind guides and weeds that needed pulled up by the roots. He accused them of needing transformation at the heart level. And of course he was right. But it wasn't winning him any friends. Among the Pharisees, it was winning him enemies. So in so today's passage, Jesus takes another strategic withdrawal this time he actually goes into the borderland near the outside of israel and he goes into some territory that is primarily occupied not by jews or even by samaritans like the half-breeds but just by plain old gentiles in many ways it's like a cross-cultural missions trip for jesus one commentator I read this week said that Jesus went into pagan land on this trip. He went into Gentileville in this part of chapter 15. And guess who he encounters in Gentileville? Gentiles. Bona fide Gentiles, non Jews. It's interesting because Matthew is the gospel that is most focused on Jesus as a Jew, right? Jesus in the Old Testament. What is Matthew's favorite word that we've seen so far? Fulfilled, right? He loves to show how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament. But Matthew, same Gospel, also focused on how this Jewish Messiah is also the Messiah of the Gentiles. We've seen it already with the Magi and the Centurion. And we know how this book ends, right? Right? We skipped ahead to it at the end of December. Jesus gives the Great Commission to make disciples of all what? Nations. That's the Gentiles. So it looks like Jesus might be doing a little bit of that already. But he goes about it in a really funny way. He starts by arguing the opposite with a Gentile woman. Let's pray together and then I'll try to show you what I see going on here for us today. Let's pray. Lord, we've sung everything. Everything I want to preach now, we've sung. Jesus, He's a solid rock. He's the Lamb who was slain. He is worthy. Help us, Lord, as we focus in on His theological biography written by His disciple Matthew to get another glimpse of who He is and how that means everything for who we are. I pray that You would develop in us great faith in a great Savior. And I pray this in His great name. Amen. That's our title, by the way. Our title for today's message is not very clever. It's not very clever, but I think it captures the picture that emerges from today's story. Great faith in a great God. Now, I had some really clever titles for you this morning okay? for this story. I'll share a few of them with you as I go along. But, but what is central to this story is not some clever title. What's central to this story is a picture of truly great faith in a truly great God. So that's what we're going to focus in on today. Again, it starts with Jesus' strategic withdrawal. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Leaving that place where he was arguing with the Pharisees, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, when you hear Tyre and Sidon, what do you think? What what immediately jumps to your mind? Some of you are like, nothing jumps to my mind when I think of Tyre and Sidon. But if if you did, what, what, what are you supposed to immediately think if you're a good Jew? Wicked Gentile territory, right? That's what's supposed to come up to your mind. Tyre and Sidon, Ugh. wicked Gentile territory. In the Old Testament, those two port cities were denounced by the prophets. Isaiah 23, Ezekiel 28, Amos chapter 1, give those towns the beatdown for their wicked behavior. Now, they had some good parts to their story as well, especially because Tyre, his, the, the king of Tyre was Hiram, and he sent a bunch of lumber to Solomon for his building projects. So you might have thought, lumber. Lumber's up in Tyre. Okay, but then they went downhill from there, as Isaiah and Amos and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and others point out. This is, in, this is the wrong side of the tracks for faithful Israelites. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus has already named Tyre and Sidon as examples of cities that will be judged by the Lord. But now Jesus is walking their streets. He's going up and down Tyre. He's going up and down Sidon. And He comes in His travels upon a woman. Look at verse 22. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to Him crying out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Okay now. Now think for a second who this woman is. First, she's a Canaanite. What are you supposed to think when you hear the word Canaanite. You know what? Nobody would have been called that during this time. They didn't call each other Canaanite in the first century. Canaanite is an Old Testament word for the people who lived in the land before the conquest in Joshua. And by the way, this is the only time the word Canaanite appears in the New Testament. Okay, It's a hapax legomena, one of those words that only appears once. Canaanite is an Old Testament word for the people who lived in the land before the conquest in Joshua. Mark tells us that she is a Syrophoenician woman. Meaning she's from this area. Okay, Matthew says she's a Canaanite. So that all of his Jewish readers would immediately go, yuck. She's not Jewish. She's not one of us. She's not one of the chosen people. And she's a she. Canaanite woman from this vicinity, three strikes, you're out. Let's get out of here. Jesus, I I don't think we want to be hanging around with this kind of person. So what's Jesus going to do? What do you think Jesus is going to do? Well, this is not just any Canaanite woman from that vicinity. Look what she says. Look what she calls Jesus. Jesus. Remember, keep your eye on the ball in the Gospel of Matthew. What's it always about? It's always about who is this Jesus? Verse 22 again. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to Him crying out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. She knows a lot about Jesus. She knows more than the Pharisees do, doesn't she? She's a Gentile. And she is one of the fiercest things on the face of the planet. She's a mom. And her daughter is hurting. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Have mercy on me. What a great prayer that is. If you don't know what else to pray in any situation, grab this one and use it. It's a good one. In Greek, it's kiri eleison. Some of you have sung that before. I put it up on Facebook last night and a whole bunch of people started commenting about it. Kiri eleison. It means, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. So what do you think Jesus is going to do? He doesn't do anything. Verse 23. Jesus did not answer a word. Man, that is so hard. That is so hard. Have you ever been there before? You're crying out to the Lord, you're asking for mercy, and you don't hear anything back. It's important in those moments to not make the wrong assumptions about Jesus. Don't assume he doesn't care. When the Lord is silent, don't despair or think that he is uninterested in your plight. Don't forget who you know He is when you don't hear His voice. When He's silent, which is what He was right there. Jesus did not answer a word. The disciples said, oh, well, we know what that means. So His disciples came to Him and urged Him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. This lady was a pest. The disciples interpreted Jesus' silence as a desire to be rid of her. That was definitely their desire. She kept bothering them about her daughter. This Gentile, Canaanite woman from that vicinity. What do you think Jesus is going to do? I'll bet he. what He does is not what you thought He would. He basically tells her that He's not there for her. Look at verse 24. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, friends, I think this is the strangest exchange in the whole Gospel of Matthew. I would have never come up with this story in a thousand years on my own. This has got to be history. Jesus says, I'm on a mission right now, but that mission is to the lost sheep of Israel. You Remember chapter 10? When Jesus felt compassion... For the people who were like sheep without a shepherd, they are in Israel. And so he sent his disciples on a short-term missions trip to find what? The lost sheep of Israel. Same phrase. So that's what Jesus says he's up to right now. Now that'll change by the end of Matthew. They're They're sent out to the world. But that's his central mission right now. Be the promised Messiah for the Jews. You feeling this? You feel the tension? Is this like what? Because everything in me is going, but 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 he's entire in Sidon. He's not in the He's not in Jerusalem. He's not in Bethel or Bethlehem. He's entire in Sidon. If he's supposed to just be reaching the Jews, he's got a funny way of doing it. Here's what I think. I can't prove it. But this is how I read this story. I think Jesus keeps on looking at this woman to see what she's going to do next. I think Jesus keeps on looking at this woman to hear what she's going to say next. And I think that he's smiling. Now, I first learned about this story from Max Lucado in his book, In the Eye of the Storm. And Lucado, in that book, suggests that Jesus is smiling the whole time and even that he has his his tongue poking in his cheek as he interacts with this lady. I think he's fascinated with her faith and he's drawing it out of her. Notice he does not send her away like the disciples wanted. He argues with her. He says something and then he looks at her. He sees what she's going to say. By the way, when you read the Gospels, watch how Jesus talks to women. He sees women, He knows them. He talks to them even when other men of that day would not, in situations where where they would not. He touches them, He cares about women, He treats women with dignity. Now, I know you're going to laugh that I just said that when we reach verse 26, but I mean it. I think he's treating her with dignity even then. He's not going anywhere. His gaze is fixed on her. He's interacting with this woman in this moment fully when he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. She doesn't take no for an answer. Verse 25, the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. Notice she calls him Lord. The Pharisees won't do that. They should have. By now, everybody in Israel should be doing that. But they aren't. And here he is, this Gentile Canaanite woman from this vicinity. She gets down on her knees in front of him and she cries out, Lord, help me. She gets it. She knows that she has nowhere else to turn. And she knows that he has the power and the authority to do what no one else could do. She's kneeling before him. And he still doesn't. Verse 26. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. That seems like one of the harshest things that Jesus ever said. He seems to be declining the desperate request of a desperate mom and calling her a dog in the process. Potentially a racial slur. But I think he's smiling at her. I think there's a twinkle in his eye. I think there are tears in his eyes, actually. I don't think he's taking his eyes off of this woman for one second. And I think she sees it and knows exactly how to respond He isn't calling her a mangy, mutt, scavenger dog like the Jews thought of them. This isn't a racial slur. He's using the diminutive word for dog that the Gentiles used for house pets. I'm supposed to be focusing on the children, not the Gentile lap dogs. And he keeps looking at her. He's smiling. His eyebrows are up. What are you going to say? How are you going to respond to that? His head is tilted forward. What are you going to say? how are you going to respond to that listen to what she says verse 27 yes lord she said but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table oh she gets it she said oh yeah i know you're israel's promised messiah and the the jews are getting first dibs but there's always leftovers aren't there you got enough for us too don't you doesn't have to be either or with you, right? It can be both and with you, right? You're great enough and big enough and glorious enough and powerful enough to give the Jews the bread but also give us the crumbs, right? That's all we need. Just give us the crumbs. And I love verse 28. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Megale pistis. Great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Wow. This is the only person ever wins an argument with Jesus. I think he wanted her to win all along. And if those are the crumbs, that's good enough for me too. Great faith, he said. She had great faith. I think Jesus knew it the whole time. And He was drawing it out of her. This was a wise and wonderful woman. And she had great faith. Isn't that interesting? Just for a second, juxtapose this woman with the Pharisees who had no faith. Jewish. Religious. Men from Jerusalem. Big fat zeros blind guides weeds and here's this woman with great faith, a Canaanite from that vicinity juxtapose her with the disciples do you remember what Jesus' name is for them, Oligopistoi do you remember what that means o you of little faith Jesus is walking on the water She's like, I just want a little piece of that. I just I just need just this much of that. She's got all kinds of faith, and they all kinds of faith, and they have just as little faith. This Canaanite woman from that vicinity had truly great faith. What's so great about it? What can we learn from her great faith? I, I see at least three things. Number one, her faith was persistent. She really kept at it, didn't she? She kept asking, she kept seeking, she kept knocking the way Jesus tells us that we're supposed to pray. Verse 22, son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 23, she keeps crying after us. Verse 25, Lord, help me. Verse 27, yes, but. This is one of those times when it's okay to say, yes, Lord, but. There are very few of them. But when you're telling the Lord how awesome he is, you're loud. Yes, Lord, but you're really awesome. Yes Lord but you are really gracious. Yes but Lord you are you are magnificently generous. You've got more than enough. You can repeat that all day every day and we should. How persistent are you in your prayers for the things that you know would bring glory to the Lord? I was at the harvest prayer time yesterday morning. And I was struck by the persistent prayers of that bunch of godly saints. I came home and told Heather about it. Some of the people prayed for by name at yesterday's prayer meeting are people that I've heard prayed for by name for the last 21 years in prayer meetings. And God hasn't said yes yet. Amen for persistence when you know it would bring glory to the Lord. That shows great faith. This woman's faith was also perceptive. She knew to whom she was appealing. She had her eye on the ball. She knew that Jesus was the son of David, the Lord. The Gentiles don't say that. She saw something that not even the Pharisees saw. She knew that Jesus was more than enough, had more than enough grace to meet her family's need. She saw that with eyes of faith. Are we perceptive in our prayers? Do we truly recognize to whom we are talking when we pray? Do you ever think you're talking to one person when you realize who you're talking to, you change your voice? Like you're on the phone, you're like, yeah, yeah, right, right. And all of a sudden you realize that it's the president of the company. They can't even see you, you're on the phone, but you stand up a little bit straighter, right? You speak a little more respectfully. Speak a little more confidently, a little more expectantly. This woman was asking for something big. Can you imagine? My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Please do something about it. This woman was asking for something big, but she knows that she's asking it from someone big. And that someone big says that her faith is big. Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. Third, her faith was praised. I don't know about you, but I would love for someday the Lord would say to me, Matt, you have great faith. I'm pretty sure he couldn't do that now. I'm thankful to be a disciple, to to be one of those of little faith. But I need to repent and open my eyes and heart even further to who He is. It's my desire for my faith to be praised by the Savior. So, by the way, I almost titled this message, Jesus is really going to the dogs. But I pulled up from that. I almost titled this message, Great Faith. But I didn't think that was enough. Because the point of the Gospel of Matthew is not the faith of this woman. As great as it was. The point of the Gospel of Matthew is how great Jesus is. It's the identity of Jesus. It's about whom the great faith is placed in. It's great faith, number two, in a great God. So let's go on just a little bit further. Just after the daughter's healing. Look at verse 29. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. This is still in heavily Gentile territory. Mark tells us that it was near the cities of the Decapolis, the ten Gentile cities on the east side of Galilee. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel, great God. Does any of that kind of sound familiar? Some of you are like, I think I've got Matthew Deja Vu. Here he comes, he sits on a mountainside. Kind of like the Sermon on the Mount, right? So he's teaching. And then he the next thing he does is he's healing. And who is he healing? Well, the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. Have we heard, have we heard that before? That same list, right? It's kind, it sounds like it's drawn from Isaiah 35. He's fulfilling what the Messiah was going to do. The lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others are being healed. And the people are amazed. Have we seen that before? Yeah. But look who they praised. And they praised the God, what? Of Israel. This is the only time that phrase is used in the Gospel of Matthew. Why? Because these are Gentiles. These are Gentiles saying, wow, praise the God of Israel. For what he's doing through this guy, Jesus. Friends, Jesus didn't just heal one Canaanite woman's daughter. He's throwing healing all over the place. Are these the crumbs? There's there's healing going on all over the place to these Gentiles. He's not just the Messiah for Israel. And then he puts the cap on it. You thought it might have sounded familiar before. Listen to this, verse 32. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. Same word, that feeling in the gut. I have compassion for these people. What, What people are that? The Gentiles. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. They've run out. They might have brought their food, but their stores are, are empty. I, I do not want to send them away hungry; or They may collapse on the way. Does this sound familiar? It's supposed to. His disciples answered, this is going to sound familiar too, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? I almost titled this message, Enough Bread. These guys are oligopistoi, aren't they? Very little faith. I mean, it was just one chapter ago that they fed more people than are present here. Even after all of what they said, they said, where can we do this? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. And a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish. And when he'd given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And they in turn to the people, they all ate and were satisfied. This is starting to sound really familiar. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000, besides women and children. It's not the same event. Some people think it's the same event told twice, as if Matthew couldn't count. Oh, I put it in chapter 14. Oh, did I put it in chapter 15 too? I didn't realize. Well, these are different events. Jesus had sent the crowd away. He got into the boat and went into the vicinity of Magadan. Why does he do this whole miracle thing a second time? I think it's because he did it in the region populated by the Gentiles. He did it to show that he loves the non-Jews too. Yes, he sent first to the lost sheep of Israel. But the dogs get the scraps. And the scraps are really good. He has more than enough compassion. He did it to show that he is more than enough for the Gentiles as well. He's got more than enough compassion. Not just for the Jews also, but for for us, right? Are you a bunch of Jews out here this morning? Am I talking to a bunch of Jews? Some of you may have Jewish blood, and praise God if you do. Often when we read a Bible story, we think of about the Jews as being us. I remember saying one time as I was reading a story like, "Well, we're doing this in this story." No, I'm not Jewish. We're not the Jews not most of the time in all the stories. We're the Gentiles. Jesus has more than enough compassion for us. He has more than enough provision for us. He has more than enough power for us. Jesus has more than enough satisfaction for us. right? All the same things that we saw in chapter 14 when Jesus was was taking care of the Israel of God. He now shows that He's got more than enough of that for you and me. This story is here to show us just how great a God Jesus is. He isn't just more than enough for the Jews. Yes, they had leftovers. But then he feeds the Gentiles. And even they have leftovers. He is all that. He came for them. But he's got plenty of leftovers for us. I almost taught this sermon, the leftovers. I didn't want you to think it was about steel pizza. How many baskets were left over for Israel back in chapter 14? Twelve. How many tribes of Israel? Twelve. How many baskets left over in this region in chapter 15? Seven. What is the number of perfection or completion? Seven. Everybody's satisfied. Everybody gets a foretaste of the great messianic banquet in the kingdom to come. Everybody in Israel who trusts in Jesus Christ. And everybody outside of Israel who trusts in King Jesus. Jesus is enough for all. He is great enough for all with lots left over. Jesus is overflowing and superabounding with grace. Oh, to have great faith in this great God. Amen.